Greetings and salutations. You're listening to This Ends at Prom, a podcast where I, teen movie apologist BJ Colangelo, show my wife, Harmony Colangelo, a seminal teen girl movie that I missed out on because I grew up as a teen boy. Is today's movie truly emblematic of womanhood? Or of rose-colored nostalgia glasses warped your perspective? Circle yes, no, or maybe to find out if we're crowning a queen? Or if we're killing the teen dream. Welcome to This Ends at Prom. This Ends at Prom is a Pod People production. I don't wanna be your merch girl. I wanna be your goddamn idol. And I don't wanna have to work twice as hard for the same motherfucking title. But I. Happy Summerween prom party. I love Summerween. I think that I just like all season ween, but yes, I also enjoy Summerween. This is an accidental Summerween because it works for our quarterly teen movie hell episode. That it does, friends. It is our quarterly teen movie hell episode. You know what that means. We are paying homage to the incredible work of Mike McBeardo McPadden, and we will be reading an excerpt from his book, Teen Movie Hell, the unofficial Bible of this show, Please purchase it over at Bazillion Points. You will not regret it. It's incredible. And this week, we are talking about one of Jim Carrey's breakthrough movies. We are talking about Once Bitten. It is a vampire comedy. It is super rad. And friends, we are not alone this week. No, we're joined by, actually, in in the studio, by which I mean our living room. So we're ducking in and out of the microphone. So this is going to be really fun for me to listen to you back and forth. But we're joined by our lovely friend, Mr. Brad Michael Elmore. Hello, Brad. Uh, hello. It's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> Stoked. It's good to finally see you in person, uh, even though we're almost neighbors and have not physically seen you since we moved in. <laughs> yeah, there was, there was just that one time I, I came and dropped off the posters. And... Yeah. Yeah, for those of you that don't know Brad by name, he directed a movie we talk about quite a lot on this show. Um, he directed The Incredible Bit. He's also the director of an amazing film called Wolfman's Hammer. You can yes. check that one out for free. Just be really good at Googling. And by really good at Googling, you just literally fucking Google it and it'll show up. Yes, it's just, it's on YouTube. So their accessibility has never been easier for this one. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But Brad picked this movie and I'm eager to know why. So Brad, why Once Bitten? I thought it, I thought it fit somewhat in, into the format of your show, first and foremost. And since I was being denied cruelly a chance to do uh, The Crow, which I feel like, <laughs> though not a teen movie, is maybe there's an argument to be made the most teenager movie ever made. But we're not talking about The Crow. We're talking about Once Bitten. It popped in my head. It's a movie I watched a billion times as a kid. And I don't know, something must have stuck in there because from fourth grade to 30-something, I'm suddenly directing Dancing Vampires. So something had to stick, and I just have fond memories of watching it. And yeah, I thought it would be fun. There's no, there's no centimeter of this movie that you can't look at and, and laugh at or have some sort of joy or, or profound disgust at how wrongheaded it is. I mean, it's just a lot to unpack in a silly movie like this. Oh, yeah. Um, and we'll, we'll get to some of those. But there was one scene that I had to, like, just turn to BJ and went, how, you knew, you knew this was here. <laughs> because I had never seen this before. Yeah, so this is a movie that Harmony had never seen until we watched it for the show, which is always my favorite experience because I get to just watch her react in real time to things that I know are coming because I try not to tell her things. I want her to have as unbiased of an opinion and approach to a movie as possible. But I love Once Bitten. I watched this a bunch when I was younger, uh, rented it from the video store because, of course, Jim Carrey's on it. And I'm a child of the 90s. Mm -hmm. So that was my introduction to him in the 90s was just Jim Carrey being everywhere. So to then creep into the back room at my video store where all the horror stuff was because we kept the horror there, not the porn. And just seeing his <laughs> face on a cover, I knew I had to get it. And 
watched it a bunch, thought it was hilarious. Um, hadn't watched it for a couple of years. So I was really excited to revisit it and find that I still love it as much as I did as a kid. So for those out there who may have never seen Once Bitten, if you had to explain what this movie is about, Brad, what is the synopsis? Okay, so Once Bitten is about a uh, desperate virgin who is overly trying to pressure his girlfriend into sex, who then meets a vampire when his friends and him go prowling the bars of Hollywood to try to get laid in a, in a desperate scheme. He meets a vampire, and this vampire needs to feed upon a virgin three times uh, so that she may retain her beauty and immortality. And so this that's the stakes of the movie. There are no other real... It's very low stakes because at any point... If he just has sex, she can't do that, and it doesn't seem to matter to her when she bites him, and it doesn't seem to have any sort of truly internal logic. <laughs> like, it, like it's sometimes the last one seemed to need a whole ritual element; the first two do not. You know, uh, but that's the that's the basic gist of the movie. It's just it's a it's a teen sex comedy in the vein of something like Porky's, but not as mean spirited and with. The, maybe one of the most juvenile understand. It's as if a 10-year-old wrote the movie for 10-year-olds, <laughs> having only seen other teen comedies and was tasked with writing one. And so it has very much like a 10-year-old idea of sexuality and, and, and the, the titillation of potential boobs. You know, <laughs> it, it's, it's a very silly movie. Oh, absolutely. I... I think that there is something almost innocent in how this movie handles its sexuality. Uh, first of all, I love the Countess. I think she is incredible. And I told BJ over and over again, and she just kept shoving old ladies down as she made dramatic exits. I'm like, I think she might be like a top 20 vampire for me just because she's incredible. But it, there is something about this that is extremely... It's almost like word of mouth where someone heard from someone's older cousin who told his brother, who told him, and then told you how sex works. Precisely. <laughs> Absolutely. And some people might be wondering why we're covering Once Bitten, which tends to be more of like a teen boy movie rather than a teen girl movie. But here's the justification that I've come up with. So one... The Countess is a nearly 400-year-old vampire who is essentially trolling for a bunch of high school boys. This is a gender-flipped story of Twilight. That's what this is. Mm -hmm. And I think that is really incredible. But also, the fact that the Countess needs a young virgin, like a virgin boy, her pickings are a little slim here. Like, at one point, somebody even offers, like, oh, well, the closest thing we found is an 11-year-old, and she's disgusted by it. Like, ew, no, that's way too young. <laughs> Let's not do that. So she is a woman whose entire existence is sort of defined by her proximity to teenage boys. And if that is not the teen girl experience, I don't know what is. Lauren Hutton is having so much fun here. But a type of... She's... I wouldn't say she's making a huge meal of the role. I think she's having just so much fun not taking anything so seriously. Mm -hmm. And it's delightful. She's, uh, I think, the best part of the movie in a lot of ways. Just her performance is... <laughs> It, it 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 just oh what is this oh what are you gonna pay me yeah I'll show up but then just and it seems like they're having a good time on set and it just kind of reads through very I I like I like the performance a lot and it's really funny I agree completely and before we dive in any deeper it is time for everyone's favorite part of the show. Welcome to the morning announcements. As a reminder, you can support the show on Patreon, patreon.com backslash this ends at prom. Over at our Patreon, we offer things like our schedule ahead of time, wonderful playlists curated by Harmony, our Sadie Hawkins dance episodes focusing on teen boy movies, and we are currently going through our TV homecoming series through Pen15. We offer a free bonus episode every month for our subscribers at only $1. If now is not the right time to support financially, we totally understand. All we ask is that if you love the show, you send us to a friend, you give us a five-star review wherever it is you get your podcasts, and you tag us on social media, hashtag ThisEndsAtProm or at ThisEndsAtProm. All right, and we're back. So 
Totally agree. Lauren Hutton is just absolutely killing it in this. So, Brad, what do you make of the character of the Countess? Some some sort of like old movie bombshell kind of a thing. Very very. There's like a diva element to her. There's mm-hmm. um almost like a, a a a Joan Crawford sort of element to to her. It's it's very camp. You know, she's also sexy. Uh, she's mm-hmm. she's really sexy, but I think everything ties back to again this like it feels like some kid on a playground going, "Yo, Kevin touched a boob," and then describes third hand <laughs> what that was like. Like it just has this because there's a lot there is there's a lot of stuff that that is um I guess you could say deeply problematic, but it's so. To me, mean uh, uh, Porky's is a mean spirited movie, mm-hmm. right? Um, it sort of has its place in that genre and that sort of thing. Um, and this movie just has a weird innocence to it. It feels like it takes place in Bayside High. You know, it it, it has like a mall cafeteria feel, even when you're not in the mall cafeteria of this movie. And yes, this movie has mall cafeterias in it. <laughs> and then to take an episode of like a, a Saved by the Bell or or what have you, and then just to introduce <laughs> this sort of uh, glamorous, again, from the understanding of like Kevin's aunt who lives in the hills is so hot. Have you seen her? She walks around in her room. It's so weird. Like, But uh, yeah, I, my take on it is just, I feel like Lauren Hutton's having a good time and I think she kills every scene she's in. It's hard not to have fun when she's in the in the movie. Oh, definitely. Especially because this is still about 10 years removed from Jim Carrey being a leading man. So he has not uh, developed into a star in, 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 in and isn't as captivating as he would later com- become. So having her be like experienced and established and really, really commanding both works for the character and just for the structure of the movie um, and thinking about this in relation to how it works with Porky's, um, Porky's is about boys who absolutely know what sex is. Like, they go to a strip club, which they, you know, intend on getting laid at because Porky does some some backroom dealing with his girls. But these are about boys, like, like Jim Carrey's character of Mark and his two, like, dolt of friends, his two dolt <laughs> friends, they don't know about sex. Porky's, they do. And that's, like, where the malicious kind of uh, skeevy nature of a lot of sex comedies from uh, probably the late 70s till around now is when they start to peter out as far as, like, box office smashes. Or this is the year that the third and finals, mercifully, the final Porky's comes out. Yeah, and they have their cycles, it feels like. Um, and I don't know, I, I, I wouldn't say that they're gone. It would be interesting to see how they'd rear their head again and from what perspective it would be. Because I just feel like that's always like a market, you know? Oh, that- yeah. Like, I think it comes around in like about 15 to 20 year cycles where the sex comedies get popular again. One hits hard and then there's mm-hmm. four billion of them. Yes, yeah. which ever since, you know, The Hangover and Superbad and all of those had their day in the sun in like the mid to late 2000s. We're, we're getting about overdue for the sex comedy or whatever the modern version of it is to come back. Yeah, I think it's going to come back relatively soon because right now there's a lot of debate about, oh, sex scenes are unnecessary. Oh, we don't need them. And there's been such a like visceral pushback of like, no, we need sex sex scenes in movies, which I agree. We do need sex scenes in movies. Um, I think because of that, there that's going to be what pushes through the next wave of sex comedies and honestly i'm kind of for it i'm very curious to see what a you know 2022 version of a sex comedy looks like because we're a lot more aware and having a lot more conversations about things like consent um i mean blockers for me was a really good one and that's like a late 2010s mm-hmm. that's a good sex comedy um that kind of dispels a lot of virginity myth which i think is great was Blockers, I'm asking, I'm, uh, uh, was Blockers aimed at teenagers, though? I don't think it was. I think it was a bit of both. Yeah, I think it was a, like a split thing. Uh, what, what I think is like, aware is a great word you just said. That they are very, things Things are just aware. So I don't know if something could be as naive as, as something like even Superbad was. People are so aware of, of, of things and, and ironic. I wonder if it's already happened in like t- TV is, is like Pen 13 or something where like it's teenagers like hyper aware of some sort of like farcicals, you know, 
embarrassing sex situations, but it's like the adults are playing them. Yeah. Yeah. I I think we have a version of that that exists right now. Um, And it's kind of this drought that we've seen as far as like teen films more recently is that a lot of teen films aren't necessarily for teens. Therefore, adults. Precisely. Like like Booksmart yeah. or or Pen Fifteen. Those 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 are not for teens. Those are for people who are a bit older and remember being a teen. Well, yeah, and even like the remakes that we've been getting recently of teen stories, whether it's the the Craft Legacy or even you know he's all that. Those movies seem to very much have been made in mind with the audiences that grew up with the originals watching it. Um, some of them have taken bigger swings than others, but like watching He's All That, you made they made a movie for Gen X and Millennials and shoved a TikTok star in it in the hopes that that would get the younger kids to watch it. <laughs> but all of the jokes are for the people who grew up watching She's All That in 1999. So it is like a very weird thing. People don't really know what to do with teen movies right now. And occasionally we'll get one that sneaks in and I'm like, oh, wow, that was really wonderful. Um, but a lot of it just, it like senior year just came out with Rebel Wilson. And that's also a movie about somebody in their 40s going back to high school. And it is playing very much into Y2K nostalgia. There are teens who watched that movie who enjoyed it, but it was definitely not made with them in mind. Yeah. May I address the uh, Jim Carrey really? Real quick here. Of course. So I I think it's interesting that when this comes out, uh, he is not a star. In fact, this is his first lead role in an American movie, and with a mm-hmm. decent budget uh, for for a small teen comedy, which you know three four million at in nineteen eighty five for that type that type of movie is not it, it's not like a massive budget, but he's like leading this film, and. I guess it did okay box office wise, but I think it's when I found this movie is exactly what BJ was talking about, which was the 1994 when Jim Carrey becomes the biggest star in the world. Mm -hmm. He has three movies, boom, boom, boom. They all line up and it's after four, four or five years of, uh, in living color as well. And he just becomes massive it pays off like the next year with uh breaking all those records with batman forever getting that huge check and i just think that hbo was sitting there going well what do we got of this guy we got this movie just sitting on the shelf from like 1985 he's the lead of it no and and they just kind (laughs) of programmed it for a whole summer and i happened to be home that summer watching it uh and uh and i was like a jim carrey movie that's on tv because those weren't on tv mm-hmm. they were very i mean you had to buy the you know you rent the movie or something but just for it, it like this movie like how as a little kid i loved jim carrey so much i think as a lot of little kids did mm-hmm. you know um I, I i couldn't believe this embarrassment of riches that there'd be a jim carrey movie that i haven't heard of um and i wasn't really able to parse out his age when i was a kid i he was just kind of jim carrey Mm-hmm. You know, and he's uh, older than you, but you don't know what that means. Right. Yeah. And it's so interesting upon revisit how young he is. And he's not Jim Carrey yet. Oh, what happened? Do you remember anything? No, not much. I had the weirdest dream. You know, those little packets of fresh fruit juice, you know, with the made out of tinfoil where you stick the little straws in them. To open them? Mm-hmm. Well, I think I dreamt that I was one of those. Ugh. What did happen, anyway? Let's just say you earned your juice. I did? Mm, you certainly did. <laughs> really? That's great. I don't believe it. It finally happened. Did I enjoy it? <laughs> His whole thing is weird because I don't know if it could ever exist again, period. Truly. No, I genuinely don't. We were watching the 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 Sonic the Hedgehog sequel because we both unironically love Sonic the Hedgehog. It's incredible. And like I'm watching his performance and it's like this only works if it's Jim Carrey because if anyone else tries to do this, then everyone in the room is thinking, why didn't they just get Jim Carrey? Like, you can't do this anymore. <laughs> Yeah, and and that movie's sort of bolstered by the IP of everything and 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 where it's centered, and he can play in this. But 
Like, Jim Carrey was in movies aimed at adults, too, where he was Jim Carreying. Mm-hmm. That is, and it's a weird style of humor because it's not, it's physical, but it's not quite Buster Keaton. It, it's not mm-hmm. choreographed, and it's not um, Charlie Chaplin, mm-hmm. you know, where, where it's so impressive. Uh, it's, it's like physical, psychedelic non sequitur. Yeah, like I watched something like Liar Liar, like that to me is kind of the peak of Carrieisms directed at adults yeah. more than anything, and it is such a masterclass in physical comedy. And it, he just commits in a way that I think so many people are afraid to, because at this point, when people attempt to do that, it just kind of comes off as Jim Carrey parody. Like it doesn't have that sincerity that he has, and you see little bits of it in this movie where. You know, he he does something funny with his eyebrows or he makes a dramatic face or he holds his body in a certain way. And it just feels so true to who he is as a performer. Yeah, those movie those moments come to life, those little sparkles. Uh, and but I, I was going to say, I was just struck by kind of what a dreamboat he was. He's kind of <laughs> he's kind of like a puppy dog eyed and, and lanky and kind of like cute and handsome in this movie. I mean, obviously, I'm not uh, Jim Carrey's a handsome movie star guy. But I, I, I was just struck, like, wow, they, they, they were trying to push him as, like, a romantic teen lead to be, like, um, he, there's almost a tiger beat element to him in, in this mm-hmm. movie, you know? Yeah, he's, uh, he's dreamy in a way yeah. that, like, Nicolas Cage was dreamy in Valley Girl, but Nicolas Cage didn't do Teen Fair or become a dreamboat in the same way. Jim Carrey, that just never really happened for him. His career went in a different direction. Yeah. It basically didn't go anywhere for a long time and then exploded. But yeah, I just think that's, I wanted to address that real quick because it's really interesting to see somebody, typically you can track like this whole thing of their come up, but it's interesting to know exactly when Jim Carrey hits, kind of the buildup from 1990, but then to have something so far in their past where they're the lead, not even like a side thing. That is just like, they're, all their raw elements are there. It's, it's just really interesting. Oh yeah, we had a moment uh, when they get to the dance, like the Halloween dance for this, where BJ goes, keep an eye out, there's a cameo in this movie. And I'm like, okay. And we get to the person taking tickets, and she's like, do you recognize that person? I go, not offhand. And so she's like, rewind it and pay attention to the voice the and voice. the face. I'm like, okay. And it's Megan Mullally, and I go, BJ, that's not a cameo, because she was a nobody at the time. <laughs> well, in my brain, I'm like, it's you know, a nice little visit from Megan Mullally. Cameo, that's what it is. But no, you're totally right. Like, she was also an up-and-comer. But you see the elements of who Megan Mullally is going to be. She has sarcastic laughter. She's got that cute little voice. She has that million-dollar smile. And you can't help but love her. And she's on screen for, like, a minute. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a, a, a couple things. One, they, the, him and his friends hatch a plan and they just go to Hollywood. Yeah. And th- Hollywood is treated, again, like it's somebody heard fourth hand what Hollywood is because there's a lady walking a tiger or a lion. Yes. Full on lion. <laughs> and like uh, there's all sorts of lunacy happening all over the streets in a way that like Hollywood's just not like, Hollywood Boulevard just not like. But it it's like exactly what maybe a 10-year-old would want Hollywood Boulevard to look like mm-hmm. or would think would be that and they just get they're like 18 they just get into a bar they're just served beer yeah they don't even go through it it is a bananas movie it is it just doesn't feel like it's made by adults it really doesn't no and i honestly love the idea of this bar where everyone just has like painted red lips phones where they can call other tables in there and then just shoot your shot And, you know, you go to Hollywood where all the weirdos are and ladies in pink wigs are doing photo shoots at presumably 1030 at night on a Saturday. (laughs) Yeah. And this is just a thing that exists here. And a lady's walking a lion. Yes. There's a lion. That's fucking crazy. In a gold lame suit. Let's not disrespect the drip. Of course. But like this specific era of. Hollywood at night, like specifically like Sunset Strip Hollywood. I love the look of it. Um, When we did our episode on Angel like late last year, I complimented it up and down. And this is also the year that the sequel Avenging Angel comes out, which is somehow even more cartoony and is wonderful. But the thing that I love about this movie, and this is the scene where um, occasionally this will happen. Like there was a documentary um, called I Think We're Alone Now about two people who are obsessed with the pop star Tiffany. And I go, BJ, what's this about? And she goes, oh, it's, it's good. Let's watch it. And I watch it. And it's just people who are, like, hyper-fixating, and they live in, like, dark rooms, and they're kind of obsessive and creepy, and one of them is trans, and I go, BJ, why would you do this to me? 
I kind of love spontaneously springing random trans <laughs> characters in movies on Harmony just to see how she's going to react. See, the thing is, I'm like, oh, it's not bad. It's just like, I was not prepared for that. And we have this one where Russ, who has one line and he repeats it with every woman he tries to get with. And it's just like, hi, Russ. And I'm like, oh, goodness. This is, first of all, this is great. I love this character. I think she's awesome. But oh, my goodness, I was not prepared for this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's such a wonderful scene because, you know, Russ's whole thing is he, he's just trying to get it in. That's what he's going for. And he goes and he talks to the girl from far away. You know, he thinks she's real cute. He gets closer. And then he's like, oh, are you a man? And she goes, does it matter? And when he runs away from her, she calls him a sissy. And I was like, I was like, I know Harmony's (laughs) going to be really stoked about it because if there's one thing Harmony loves, it's like kind of gruff, clocky trans women who insult men. Oh, it's like, that is my like specific verbiage of whom I love. I love clocky, like kind of going to like beat you up trans women who are awesome. I think that they're the coolest. (laughs) Giving that scene over to her to have the line of, like, sissy is interesting. I think it kind of lets the scene off the hook maybe a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. Um, and, but there is, like, in a lot of these movies especially, and it just you just realize how much of it you grow up with. And, it, like, the, the, accre- the accretion of it in just your brain <laughs> and how it shapes things. Mm-hmm. You, it's even in the most simple of things. But uh, there is this amount of gay panic in this movie oh yeah definitely it 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 surges through this movie but i must reiterate this has such a tenure i mean the same person we were talking about who goes up and hits on this lady calls boobs mazumbas (laughs) mazumbas i think think it was actually magoomba magoombas (laughs) because i called it out and i went oh no that's really close to goomba and Harmony loves referring and comparing me to Italian phrases. Like, I'm always her Italian meatball. Um, and I was like, Goomba is a Super Mario thing, and it is also Italian. <laughs> this is going to end up in her vernacular. I just love any, like, goofy movie that ha- comes up with some term that no one's ever heard of for, for boobs. Like, in uh, Angus Thongs and Perfect so- Snogging, they're Nunga Nungas. In Hocus Pocus, they're Yabos. I'm like, no one has ever said this before this movie. <laughs> Magoombas. Magoombas, it's great. so good. Yeah. But I'm glad you mentioned the game panic because uh the the of course always wonderful mike mcbeard of mcpadden actually talked a bit about the gay panic in this movie um so first he also mentions a character that we'll definitely dive into but he says og supermodel lauren hutton is satanically sexy as the countess cleavon little the sheriff in blazing saddles flames it up as the vamps liberace subtle gay assistant and both bring the funny and so does a literal gay panic scene set after gym class in which Carrie's naked buddies grab him as he washes to see if he's got neck bites or thigh bites. As Carrie struggles, a nearby teen scrubber wails, fags in the shower, fags in the shower, and a stampede of terrified nude dudes ensues out to the locker room. The joke is clearly directed at the stupidity of hair trigger homophobia and in 1985, unlike, say, maybe at the book's press time, audiences could grasp the irony and hopefully laugh at it. But for all that and more, Once Bitten is well worth giving at least a once-over. And I think that Mike is being a little too generous. I think there are definitely plenty of people who saw that scene and felt seen by the gay panic because... You know, it, it's the it's the the kiss at prom in just one of the guys where everybody gasps because we're at the peak of the AIDS crisis. Like people were definitely not cool with queerness. I think if you're smart, you understand that this moment is, you know, kind of playing at that because it's so over the top. But again, it does fall into that like juvenile behavior. Like this is such like yelling fags in the shower is such a childish way of dealing with your uncomfortability. Would never happen either. It exists in this, like, it's like a 10-year-old envisioning high school. Oh, yeah. Who's who's so more bizarre. afraid of being called a fag than a 10-year-old to 18-year-old boy? Yeah, and in and, and that scene, I think that book was a little generous about this scene. It's just the use of the, the, the F word so freely and clearly like yes the butt of the joke is them but it is it is jarring i mean upon rewatch i sort of forgot all about that scene and and uh, and it, it was a little i'm like oh boy they just that just went out to theaters like uh but right after that is one of my favorite jokes it's the thing i've remembered this well there's one thing in this movie that i've remembered think about all the time we, we must talk about it eventually but 
It's the joke I've remembered from this movie since I saw the movie. Because I think it's hilarious. I still think it's funny. Um, this might be controversial. But when the two guys afterward are discussing... Uh, they're now lot in life, now that everyone thinks they're, oh no, they're gay. The one guy says, well, we might as well just move in together and get his and his towels. And I have remembered <laughs> that joke since I was a kid. I say it with my friends all the time. I, I, it's never, like, it's, it's just a good stuck joke. in my head. Yeah, it is. It's it a is. good joke, and especially because when we see them next, they're at work at their weird, like, <laughs> don't tell mom the babysitter's dead clown dog like restaurant where they have to wear stupid shirts in a parking lot in a parking lot and he's chopping onions so when we see him he's crying and he's like everyone thinks we're gay and then you see him and he's chopping onions and i'm like that's such a dumb gag but it works really really well and i mean to your point about the f slur i'm definitely of two minds about it and one i think i'm very desensitized like if i'm watching something from before Honestly, 2001, I just expect it to be there, and I'm usually shocked when yeah. it's not. Um, but I also, I mean, that's just how people communicated then. And I think it's really important that we remember, like, how common it was that people communicated that way. Because, like, there's been, this is going to be a weird tangent, but I don't care. There's been a lot of discourse uh regarding the release of the black phone because it's set in 1978 at one point a bully calls another kid you know the f slur and people are really upset about it because they're like oh it's 2022 we know better and it's like well yeah but also in 1978 that is absolutely what a bully was going to call a kid who's a little effeminate i don't think it necessarily needs to be there but it's also not inaccurate and i i get really weird when it comes into like this sort of straight washing of history when we like to pretend like we were more woke then than we are like that gets really bothersome to me like it's uncomfortable we have to deal with how uncomfortable our past was and no one wants to do that right and i, I think artists are individuals not institutions i think form follows function and in the case of something like the black phone it's an a horror movie that is r-rated Correct. Yes. Th that do it. See, it makes sense to be like, well, we're making this movie that's like a Sandlot prequel, and it's about little kids in the '60s, and it's you know for everyone. It's like, well, we don't need to depict the reality one totally. to one of like what because because on the playground I was using that slur, but we don't need to pick that depict that reality for that type of movie. But when you mm -hmm. make the black phone. Uh, the the artists writing the movie, the people writing the story are trying to go for the accuracy that they feel. They're trying to express themselves. And I think that, that you know, I feel, I feel like it's like the definition, that weird definition of pornography, the, you know, when you see it. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, totally. I, I feel like when you're watching something like that, you know, when you see it, you know, when it's like, this is just feels like somebody representing a type of accuracy or weaponize a type of accuracy because they're expressing themselves. Or when it's like, what are they doing? Yeah. Like, what is, yeah. <laughs> get this out of here, you know? Yeah, definitely. And I feel like, I mean, with a movie like this, in no way do I think when the people wrote this joke, were they like, ha ha, now we're going to stick it to the gays. Like, that's just not the intention of it. It just happens to be harmful because we were a lot freer with harmful language back then. You know who we need to knock down a peg? The gays. They're a little too high and mighty in 1985. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking right. So like as much as I, I do agree, it is jarring because I totally forgot that that's yeah. how that joke runs. And when I watched it, I was like, oh, shit. Yeah, they really go there. Um, but it was like gone immediately because of that recovery joke that they have mm -hmm. where it's like n everybody feels like they're in on it. And it definitely feels like a joke that they're laughing with us and not at us, if that makes sense. No, I, I would agree with that. For for me, they're just so they're such buffoons. Even even their job, I, I keep coming back to the same point. That is exactly if you're like seven, going yeah. When I'm a, in high school, I'm gonna have a job, and it's like this fabricated fast food. It's both a stand and a fast food. It's so bizarre. Yeah, it, you watched Fast Times at Ridgemont High, yes. and now you think you're gonna work at a place where you have to dress like a pirate. Yes, exactly. The the whole movie has this sort of a sort of approach to it that just. I, like like an like a like a not even just a ten year old like like an alien from space <laughs> came down and like just kind of embedded themselves and like the only thing they were allowed to watch they, they, it was was other teen sex comedies 
<laughs> and they and then they had to like make one and just like almost like an AI reinterpretation of them from from a from an like a alien eight year old. I, I don't even know how to put it because it is it take it it takes place in space. Everything about it is bizarre. Even they're like we went to Hollywood. It's like they just live in the valley. That's not even that big of a deal, you know. It, it's it's so bizarre. It's such a funny movie. There's a there's a sweetness to it that sort of I think overrides a lot of. A lot of a lot of stuff that's you know like I think that the the book points out like the the, the very the very sort of Fay Butler. Oh yeah, so I love Cleavon Little as Sebastian in this a whole lot because a lot of times this sort of I guess like your Renfield type character, your person that is taking care of you know the head vampire, they stifle the queerness of that character, and that character is always queer always there's just an element to it because that's the existence of Renfield and this movie is just like now nah, we're gonna swing for the fences about it and he is so just putting on airs he sleeps in a closet instead of a coffin <laughs> like they just really put it on the nose and Cleveland Little looks like he's having the time of his fucking life he truly does he looks like he's just having so much fun insulting people and getting to wear really like beautiful clothing because that's another thing is when we look at like vampire movies from like the 70s especially there's just so much excess and glamour and that's what we get to see with the countess and sebastian like they are both always dressed to the nines and i don't know why i don't own as many just like deep v gowns as the countess but i need to really step up my game because she's incredible in every single scene and they both are and i love that especially because we we see the countess as little minions which are you know theoretically people that she has turned one it's mixed gender love that we love a bisexual mm -hmm. vampire because there's no such thing as a straight one um but all of the men she's around because they're all supposed to have been virgins are kind of like just wieners like they're such dorks and they follow her around and you know they all have weird hair and like bad clothing <laughs> and it's just great it's like if the lost boys was the chess club <laughs> like they, they're yeah they're such dorks uh, and and yes this lady just drives around her limo at night looking for virgins uh also has to use an exercise bike which i thought was really interesting it, it's this movie plays so fast and loose with its sort of comedic rules mm -hmm. but it is it, there's something sort of delightful about a vampire waking up and then hopping on a vampire oh, uh, she uh, sleeps in her jazzercise gear yes and and getting on an exercise bike while planning her going through her uh, agenda for that day, you know, <laughs> it's a it's it's an it's a very absurdist movie. Look, it's me, Robin. Do you remember Robin? We've known each other forever and ever. Mark, Mark, I'm the owner of the pants you've been trying to get into for the last four years. Robin. Yes. How'd you like your crotch set on fire? Ooh, rough trade. Stand back! Put down the cross, Robin. It only works in the movies. Besides, I'm an atheist. Fire! Okay, so the cast is clearly having a lot of fun. The gags are also really fun. Like, this is a very fun movie across the board. And, like, speaking of her and, like, her little harem of dorky vampire boys, um, and that this is also reverse Twilight... Um, we have Confederate vampires again. We what is it with the Confederate vampires? We like, Louis is a slave owner in Interview with the Vampire. Uh, Jackson, what is his? I think that's his character name, or that might be the actor's name. I don't know. No, Jasper is the character name in Twilight. He's a Confederate vampire. We've got a Confederate vampire in this one. Like, I don't know if that's just like the the shorthand that we have for like this vampire is old. Here he is in his Confederate outfit. And you're just you're just gonna not even bring up Abraham Lincoln vampire hunter. All right, okay. You make a, you make a great point here. I, it's such a funny thing because it keeps happening, but it's it to me it's like this long line of like lazy kind of writing of being like. Well, everybody knows the Civil War is in the past, mm -hmm. and what's the most recognizable flag for the yeah. Civil War? It's, it's it's and it just keeps landing on that over and over again. That is that is funny. And when I was rewatching the movie, I'm like, oh, what the hell are those doing in there? And they look so recently placed too. Mm -hmm. It's so funny. Yeah. 
I, I love that he's still wearing like his Confederate blues. Yeah. As, like, it's like when Han Solo rocked up in uh, later Star Wars films wearing the exact same clothes, like an old man who refuses to throw out his favorite pair of slippers. Well, he just got divorced. So, yeah, you know, that's he's, true. Midlife crisis. Yeah, got to go like, back to the cool I, yeah, duds. Yeah, he's put back on his Western bib shirt or whatever. Got to let the collar out. <laughs> let, let the neckline fly. Like, true, we were, we're back on the town. <laughs> yeah it's like it's truly ridiculous and um there there's an article if people want to look it up i'll put it in the show notes but there was an article from black girl nerds where they were talking about this movie and they were talking very highly about it be- because of cleavon little's performance but they also pointed out they were like what the hell is this trend about and i think i genuinely think it's because the u.s education system is such shit that we wouldn't be able to recognize uh american soldiers from any other war other than the civil war Truly, I just don't think people would know. So everyone's <laughs> like, well, any we gotta flag do this. or any flag ever from anything ever." Right, you know? right. <laughs> like you, you can't even have the flag with like the thirteen colonies on it. Like you don't want to do <laughs> Betsy Ross's flag. Now we're gonna go with the Confederacy. All right. <laughs> we need we need American vampires, and unfortunately, you can only go so far back into history where it's like, well, I mean, they're gonna be slave owners, probably. I guess we might as well make it really on the nose. <laughs> yeah, it's it's absolutely ridiculous, but. I mean, in a weird way, though, like that also to me feels like it falls into that that 10 year olds writing a movie sort of idea. It's like, well, how do we make the sign of the times being old? I don't know. I learned about this in history class in fifth grade. <laughs> like, Yeah. Yeah. That that to me very much tracks with this. But, you know, I, I wouldn't say that like it's a fun addition, but like it just leans into that kind of childlike understanding of history and the world. Oh, for sure. And like, we're having so much fun talking about how great Jim Carrey is and how great Lauren Hutton is and how great Cleavon Little is. We haven't even talked about like Mark's actual girlfriend <laughs> this whole time. It's it's interesting. Her performance, it, it, that role is not doing her many favors. No. It's, it's not written to be deep. There's not a lot for her to like sink her teeth into. I, was... I guess pardon the expression in this movie. I was in love with her as a kid. I was in love with her. You gotta remember, Aww. it's you know 1994, and that summer I would watch this movie, and she's like, she was just so like uh, attractive to me. And um, I do, I, I do think it's like every scene they they cast uh, somebody who is obviously very like uh, you know they're photogenic, mm-hmm. um, but you never quite know what she might be capable of because her role is absurd she has to just kind of be a down note in every scene you know she's got to like sell like jim carrey's in the thing he's not actually cheating on her he's getting bit by a vampire and she's got to sell her indignancy she just doesn't have any spots like even the part where she's having like a heart-to-heart with jim carrey's character in like the courtyard of what is actually a middle school because this what, what other movie is this featured in uh, this is the same school from Slumber Party Massacre. <laughs> See, there you go. But like they're having a, a conversation about their relationship and then she doesn't even get like the dignity of this being a serious scene because then there's people in like the background as if they're watching a play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she, I feel ba- so bad for her character. Um, I will co-sign, yes, uh, Karen Copkins, I think is her name, Coppins, uh, dummy hot. She's very beautiful. Um, but yeah, she doesn't get a lot to do and I kept thinking about uh, Fright Night, which it, is my favorite movie of all time. And Amanda Bierce is given so much to do as Amy, as like this girl who's trying to have sex with the boyfriend and he's not ready because, you know, he's fascinated with vampire and dealing with that whole thing. But there's so much more for her to do. This movie to me feels like they were very sure of what they wanted to do with the Countess. They were very sure what they wanted to do with Mark. They were very sure of what they wanted to do with his friends. And then they went, oh shit, Mark has a girlfriend. Uh, I guess she's not happy about this. There we go. That's what we've got. Yeah, I think in the writing, that was probably the biggest mistake is to give him a girlfriend because he doesn't really need it because she's got to space out her feeding and he's desperate to get laid. Mm -hmm. And the stakes of it never really matter that much. She immediately always kind of forgives him. Yeah. You know, it never really 
plays in that much. And and you got to say, she kind of comes to life at the end of the movie when they're giving her shit to do. Oh, yeah. When she's got some gags to commit to, some stuff, she gets to have fun with everybody in that way. It, she she kind of sparkles a little bit more. Oh, yeah. You know? But it's still, she's she's very much a functionary in this. <laughs> oh, yeah. When you get to the, uh, the climax of this movie where it just turns into like some Scooby-Doo nonsense that I love. True nonsense. Yes. She gets... So much more to do, and that's where she finally gets to shine. But I feel like they gave him a girlfriend purely because it's like, well, we know what the end of the movie needs to be. He needs a girlfriend for it. Yeah. I think that um, she has even kind of like one good line, I think, you know, and she's like, oh, likes nice girls like me, and then she curses at her. Yeah. Oh, like great use of their one fuck they get yeah. for a PG-13 movie. Um and uh, yeah, but she is shortchanged. There's just no two ways about it. You know, it's it's a it's a thankless role. Um, but she but she is in the best scene of the movie, and I would like to talk about this scene. Oh yeah, I was trying to find a way to lead into it, and I was like, oh good, we're talking about Robin, so we can lead into this. You want to talk about vampire dancing? I do very much so. <laughs> <laughs> there there is a thing to me where there's almost sometimes, especially in horror films, especially in horror films with teenagers in them, because I mean, even the idea. This is I am such a pretentious ass. Uh, even even the idea of like teenagerdom is kind of not that old of a concept, mm-hmm. es- especially like especially the uh, incorporating them having a life and a time in their life with disposable income that's their own sort of their own you know that's sort of like a newer thing mm-hmm. and so um media started depicting that in the 20th century and sort of creating stories about that but it truly doesn't enter into a mythic sense until horror movies start being made where teen where where teenage life gets mythologized in some way right like i can't think of any other way that happens teenagers it's kind of just exist to make movies about like i don't know them getting in fights or rebel without a cause like Mm -hmm. i'm not saying these movies aren't mythic or or or, excuse me they're not mythic they're iconic yeah but actual like them entering into mythology in in the 20th century way with 20th century modalities like the horror movie does it Mm -hmm. like halloween mythologizes mythologizes the idea of the the adolescent right oh yeah takes it out of reality and boils it up to myth and sometimes it's, and most of the time I feel, it's accidentally doing these sort of weird things. They kind of back into it. They back into a type of pop mythology that's just, to me, like, delirious. Uh, I would, I would like, uh, when, when Freddy Krueger gets peed back to life by a dog in a junkyard, <laughs> that is like, there's something so mythic about that. There's something so, like, erupting from the pavement of, like, modern thought and modern symbol systems. And I, I don't think anybody's sitting there going, I'm making this mythic connection. It just kind of accidentally does that. And in Once Bitten has this moment where it backs into this crazy, delirious pop mythology where a prom dance... Or not even a prom dance, just a dance, just a high school dance becomes the battle for one man's soul, right? (laughs) And and a vampire uh, rules that do not make sense that they have not established, but you just roll with them and you never question question them. A vampire is trying to dance him away from his girlfriend with her vampire powers. Which is baffling to me. There's no need for it. She could just (laughs) bite him at any moment in this movie, but it has to happen. And it does, and it, it's it's pure. It's like a, it's like a, a even watching it this last time. That scene in isolation, to me, is I almost want to like levitate and convert to pure energy. You know, <laughs> it is so deliriously silly and fun and and weirdly mythic. It's it's bananas. Anyway, sorry. No, and the best part about it is because it's happening at like a high school Halloween dance. Everybody's also in costume which just adds to the weirdness and silliness of it, but also so perfect because there's the running gag of Mark's character, so Jim Carrey, didn't have time to get a costume, so he just showed up looking goth as hell, and everyone's like, oh, he's he's a vampire. And he just looks like, you know, he bought his clothes in the Matrix, and that's fine. And then, like, his girlfriend shows up, and I guess they were supposed to do a couple's costume of Jack and Jill, so she's dressed like Jill, and it's very much like a storybook character. Honestly, the first thing that I thought of and I, I don't know if it's an exact reference, and I'm just hoping that it is, but one of the early South Park Halloween episodes when Stan and Wendy were supposed to go as Raggedy Ann and Raggedy Andy, mm-hmm. and Stan shows up with the big rosy cheeks, I was like, 
I would not be surprised if this is like a weird reference that Matt and Trey are making to Once Bitten because I feel like this is a movie they would have loved. And then you have the Countess show up and she's in like this Marlena Dietrich like pantsless suit thing that's like both hyper mask and very femme and really hot. And yeah. they're just... No one questioned why she <laughs> this clearly like even though she's, you know, a 400 year old vampire like this is an adult woman. This is not a teenager. No one questioned it. I mean, as an aside, one of my favorite games to play anytime there's a costume party or a Halloween party in a movie or a show is I love to just look at background people because I love to see who they're <laughs> dressed as. It's one of my favorite games in the universe. And if you look at some of these background people in costumes, there's like some 50 year old men back there. So I don't know if they're being too particular. <laughs> yeah, the guy with the uh, like the the balloon, like black cat costume yes. thing. That dude is like clearly 45. <laughs> Dear listeners, if you don't plan on watching this movie, find this scene. Mm-hmm. And and I think that what BJ was saying about, like, oh, Trey Parker and Matt Stone, they wouldn't have even had to have liked this movie. The point is, is if you happen to have seen this movie, you are never forgetting this scene. No. It is, <laughs> it is so bizarre. It it's not even present in the rest of the movie that type of rule system or and and or anything and I'm I'm a person who really likes dancing in movies I I like to see people dance I like choreography in movies I like I think dance is a good expression of a lot of things of character and 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 pathos and also and just it's visually fun to watch and uh, this movie has some clunky but fun dancing and also I feel like this is the moment where you see oh Jim Carrey's gonna be a star. Oh, yeah. And here, this is like a trait that you would even see become more of, I guess, of a trope in later teen films where, like, this is a thing in in She's All That. Their magical vampire powers and the She's All That. Did I miss that? No, just, I... just, just uh, <laughs> okay. like, absurd costume, absurd dances that where suddenly there's, like, yeah. choreographed moves that don't need to exist in this movie and don't exist in any other parts of the movie. It's just a thing where How everyone rehearsed. Yeah, like, that's a thing. And I absolutely love that that is, like, such an absurd trope that we accept in teendom. And, I, I oh, oh, the other one that I was trying to remember is 13 Going on 30, where it's suddenly they're doing Thriller at a time when Michael Jackson was, his stock was at a low when 13 Going on 30 came out. And I think that's so funny because Jim Carrey clearly lifted a number of his dance moves, either he or the choreographer, from, like, watching Michael Jackson music videos. Yeah, and I think he probably just did that on the spot if I had to guess because it it does not look like they have very – it looks like whoever choreographed that scene either had no time or the, the actors just kind of did it themselves. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I would have to check the credits um, because it's not like it's that much. But I but Carrie at the time was doing – he was an impressionist, you know? Mm-hmm. Like he, was, he would do stand-up and do tons of impressions so that – yeah, it's this Michael Jackson call-out. And it's pretty good. I mean, it's yeah. dorky, but it's, I mean, it's pretty good. He looks good. the same way all of us did when we were like, I'm going to learn how to moonwalk. Oh, yeah. Well, where do teens learn to dance in the 80s by watching MTV and learning from Michael Jackson? Yeah. And that's, and the song, it must be said, is a banger. The whole, yeah. The whole movie's <laughs> full of all this sort of fun, very driving through the valley 80s uh, pop, mm-hmm. uh, LA, LA pop kind of sound, you know? Um, but that this song in particular, the he hands off, or maybe he belongs to me. I don't know the title of it. Um, is catchy as hell. It'll stick in your head. And uh, I, I again, I just if you don't watch the movie, please watch this scene. It is transcendent. So this is connected to the movie, but not connected to the movie. So you put a dancing vampire scene in bit. And I just want to know, were you like, this is mandatory, it has to be here? Um, Did anybody give you pushback on it? Because I fucking love your dancing vampire scene in bit. Um, So if you could speak to that, I would just love to know the process of that. Of of course, uh, and thank thank you. Um, But uh, yeah, it was in the script. I wrote the song into the script. I wrote this thing. Um, I do not think I was referencing Once Bitten directly. I just think it had invaded my subconscious mind and because i because obviously through that i was more thinking of uh saturday night fever and things like that mm-hmm. more trying to evoke an era and evoke partying and i, I just thought the, the best way to show how sort of absurdist this vampire lord was 
I mean, that whole scene is like, what if what if you took every version of Dracula and, and made them one man's biography? Every version, don't, like, it doesn't, like, starting with um, the sort of initial version of Dracula the to uh, all the way through ending with sort of new metal Dracula in, in the year 2000. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the middle there, you got some Andy Warhol Draculas. You got some, you got those, some of those, uh, 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 what's his name? Um, George Hamilton. Okay. You yeah, know, yeah. yeah. Like, you, you, you get this sort of swing in 70s Dracula. And so it just sort of was more born out of that. And I, it's kind of funny that it I didn't think about Once Bitten. It wasn't until later afterward where I was, I, that, I just saw that scene. And I'm like, did that just stick in my head so hard? <laughs> that, <laughs> that, that, like, using your mental powers on dance floors and dance and dancing vampires in a complete camp absurdity, like... If if it w- if it was a reference, I didn't know it, and uh, but I I'm not ruling that out. I think that there's a good <laughs> chance it just landed in there and is never and is not a not it's just never going away. As I as I as I shuffle off my mortal coil, I probably will hear that song as like my last fading memories. It'll be that or like the <laughs> the keys on Van Eye song, you know, or or something, some useless jingle. But I I should be so lucky if my last moments are consumed with you know he belongs to me. You know, I, I'll be into it. <laughs> I yeah, I love that. I mean, like I said earlier, Fright Night's my favorite movie of all time. Also, a movie that contains a, a vampire dance scene. It's less of a choreographed dance and more of like you know, in public at a club dance. But, you know, the second I hear the song play, like, it just puts me in the zone. Like, there's something about the playfulness of dance with a vampire that is just endlessly enjoyable. Um, real quick, the score, John John Duprez, I think, did I, I, I'm butchering that name, I, I believe. But the whole score has this, uh, like, a tango to mm-hmm. it. It's like a, it's like a, 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 a sort of, uh, tango arrangement very very jaunty you know mm-hmm. um the weird thing but that hero who did that score went on to score do one of the greatest scores of all time which is the score for the ninja turtles oh, oh beautiful <laughs> one of my favorite scores which they finally started releasing in different formats but it's i i, I saw that name on the credits and the rewatch and i'm like wait a minute <laughs> <laughs> i know this guy you know um, I don't know if you guys are fans of that score, but uh, yes, of course. Rips as I'm looking at this Ninja Turtle skateboard, which I am definitely going to try to steal. <laughs> <laughs> Get a screwdriver; it's screwed into the wall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did a, an episode of our Sadie Hawkins dance for those of you who are on our Patreon, uh, where we talked about the Ninja Turtles movie because we love the Ninja Turtles in this household. My last name is one syllable away from being Michelangelo, my favorite Ninja Turtle for obvious reasons. For that reason. It's fine. I prefer Donnie, so we don't have to fight about it. But but speaking of the score of this movie and how it has a tango, like there there is a sense of movement, which I think is great. Um, you 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 could be poetic about them, be like it's a dance with death because you're dancing with a vampire. But also, I think that like historically, dance just has to do with lusty feelings. Like Truly. it's extremely sensual, and somehow they made this this dance with death not intimidating <laughs> they they made these uh this very sexy woman in a sexy outfit doing sexy dance well semi semi sexy dance moves not a very sexy scene <laughs> like this movie is so it's so clever either intentionally or accidentally about the absurdity of misdirection yeah it is as horny as the characters in the movie are and as horny as the genre is this movie's not <laughs> like super sexed up or sexy no especially for a sex comedy a sex comedy with vampires who are like especially coming through like the 70s are notoriously horny yeah and tonally all the jokes are so bizarre so at the beginning you get this over-the-top joke where a guy is having sex in a car and you just see his butt bobbing up and down (laughs) yeah but he's like raising like 30 feet into the air to come back down he's given the longest strokes you can possibly imagine and the car is shaking and it's like that's kind of over the top enough and then all the other cars start shaking, just like it's like that two stupid dogs joke. I don't know if you remember that. Joke. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, like and that. I think it just goes back to that childlike understanding of what sex is, because 
as adults who have actually had sex, we can look at that scene and go, <laughs> that dude is missing on the way back down. He is bending that dick and it's going to be a problem. She is not having a good time. But like for a kid, it's like you hear about Lover's Lane or the movie theater or what have you. And you hear about like, oh, if the van's are rocking, don't come and knock in. But you don't actually know what that looks like because you're a child. If the movie was a person, it would come up to you shyly and ask if it got its girlfriend pregnant because they made out with her in the hot tub. <laughs> <laughs> Holding hands causes impregnation. <laughs> but you're totally right, though, and there's something, like, weirdly sweet and endearing about that. Like, oh, oh, you, you poor thing. Honestly, like... <laughs> I'm going to totally shit on this person. Uh, for those of you who are on our Molly tier, you've heard this story already on our, our Pen15 rewatches, but it just reminds me of this kid that I went to college with who was so kind and so nice, and one day I was pissed about something, and I don't even remember what I was mad about, but I know that my punchline to it was, yeah, and I bet that's the kind of guy that thinks that we piss and bleed out the same hole. And I just watched the life drain from this adult male who is old enough to vote's face because that was the first time he realized that, no, we do not piss and bleed out the same hole. Wait, what? And I was like... <laughs> <laughs> and I just looked at him, and I couldn't even be mad at him. I was like, oh, you... You poor thing. Oh, oh, okay. Let's have this talk real quick. Like, that's the energy I would have for the person who wrote this movie. It's just, <laughs> oh, honey, okay, let's sit down. Let's talk about how this actually works. I'm Russ, and uh, I'm a Sagittarius. I enjoy surfing, candlelit dinners, and Tolstoy. Look, I'm a mature person, and uh, you're a mature person. So why don't we just skip all the bullshit? Get rid of our inhibitions and uh, do what we really want to do. Sounds good to me. Why don't we go to your place? I'll tie you up on your bed. I'd love to oh, whip you. Um, no, 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 no. We can't do it in my bed. Um, I, I sleep with my brother, and he's a and he's a chronic bedwetter. Maybe next time. Oh, God, I just I think it's so much fun, and I think it's just great how this is. Arguably the least horror-related vampire movie I've ever seen. It's up there in that regard, yeah. I mean, certainly. I don't think there's a... I mean, there's barely any blood in it. Yeah, there's almost no blood. There's no real horror elements. Like, she sleeps in a coffin, but it's not, like, spooky. There's no cobwebs. There's no vampire tropes. And I guess that's, like, again, the, the really smart, subversive nature where they're misdirecting every expectation you have of what a vampire's like. A lot of the blood that we do see is... Pres like presentational it's like in jars in a in a refrigerator or mom was draining it to make a, an egg burger for breakfast and then he's drinking it and it is clearly fucking kool-aid like <laughs> it has the same consistency and like just the right amount of bubbles like i was like that's that's kool-aid that's not even corn syrup um and that to me is also endearing like she gets a like a literal bloody mary when she wakes up like that's 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 comedy right there yeah, the the whole movie's really chintzy. It's not there's no moody lighting. There there's it's it's yeah, it's, oh, it's like just, an episode of Saved by the Bell. It's just like the director's house. They just borrowed a house for two days to shoot yeah. in it and they're just like, I don't know, who who's got a nice place? Who who can we bug? Yeah, it's it's just a magical a magical film. Um so I think that we've definitely discussed once bitten more than I think any human beings on the planet probably have. Um, in terms of analysis, I did do some research uh, trying to to prepare for the for the episode. And with the exception of reviews that came out um, when the movie came out, there's really no like academic writing on this, not even from the perspective of like, hey, let's assess Jim Carrey's career. It's just treated as such a footnote by so many people. Um, so I'm very proud because I think that we might be the most like extensive conversation on Once Bitten in film history. Yeah, I, I, uh, the, I just want to say I will be teaching a class and writing a book on just that dance scene alone <laughs> <laughs> that my novels will be published you know hopefully this year i'm looking I'm, I'm shopping publishers right now <laughs> uh absolutely incredible well harmony i think i think the time has come to ask the most important question of the show once bitten is asking you to the prom or i guess in this case the halloween costume dance it is is it a yes a no a maybe or are you buying a ticket so that they can go on their own 
Here's the thing. This movie has been floating around on my recommendations on Tubi for about forever. And I have never gotten around to watching it. And I'm very glad I did. Also, just any excuse to hang out with Brad and talk about movies is the, the, an absolute fucking delight. Thank you. I would, uh, ah, you got, you're too kind. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but um, yeah, this, this movie is a, a fantastic summerween film, I think, because it's Los Angeles Halloween, which basically just looks like summer because it's still hot as balls out here in, in October. And I think it's, it's way funnier than I thought it would be. Because it had a one star when I searched it on Roku, which is criminally low. It's got a 10% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is the second lowest film we've ever covered. Just barely edging out the next Karate Kid. And I think that that is harsh. I'm giving it an absolute yes, and I'm a big fan. Beautiful. We love to hear it. All right, friends. I think that takes us out on Once Bitten. Brad, where can people find you if you want them to find you and your work? Oh, they don't need to. Uh, Wolfman's Hammer's on YouTube, and Bit is, uh, I believe, on Amazon. Um, and, uh, and and Tubi, I, I don't know, Google. J- just watch Bit. It's a movie uh, with vampires. But uh, Bit, terrible name for search engine optimization. <laughs> <laughs> I have found that if you search Bit Nicole Maines, yeah. that is your, your winner. Because for those who don't know, Nicole Maines stars in it. She's fucking fantastic. Um, so that's usually the easiest way to find it if, if you're struggling to, to track it down. Um, as always, friends, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at This Ends at Prom. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at BJ Colangelo. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Velocitraptor, Velocitraptor underscore trap underscore tour. And as always, huge thank you to the Sonderbombs for allowing us to use title as our theme song. I, I'm just fascinated. Harmony, what band are you recommending people listen to this week that is inspired by Once Bitten? I wanted to pick something that is spooky, but doesn't sound like, you know, Halloween party music per se. So the band I'm recommending this time is called Gamma Girl, and they are a a, a delightfully noisy band. Uh, This might be derivative, but if I had to compare them, it's got like 80s spooky goth stuff like Bauhaus, but mixed with more modern noise like Poppy or maybe Japan droids or black dresses. Basically, like, really heavy, noisy-sounding things, but with, like, melodies. And they've got phenomenal song titles like Hockey Mask, Scream Bloody Murder, Van Helsing Killed Kids, and Gay Sex Collective. So truly the most horrifying things. I love that so much. All right, friends, that takes us out on Once Bitten. Thank you for listening. We will see you next week. And as always, save that last dance for us. Goodbye. Bye. you because you're mean and evil he wants me because i'm nice and sweet and pure so fuck off this episode was brought to you by pod people productions to find more episodes of this show and others please visit podpeople.me